Well, our sermon text this morning is a, is a short one. It is uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 66 to 72. And if you're able to do so, I'll ask that you stand for the reading of God's holy word. Give ear to the word of God this morning. It says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, uh, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, uh, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, uh, we're not doing an Ascension Day sermon per se, but uh, we're going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, and we're coming to the account of Peter's denial, his threefold denial of his, of his Lord. Uh, it's a sad and sobering account, uh, to be sure. When we read it together, if you have any tender conscience, it's hard to read some of the things that, that are on the page. Um, again, if you think about the fact that so many believe that Mark's Gospel is actually Peter's account, it's kind of... Uh, Amazing to think of, of uh, the, 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 the humility that, that Peter must have had by God's grace to be able to put this. You know, Peter, all through Mark's gospel, doesn't, you know, if, if it was us, we'd, we'd include the highlights. You know, we wouldn't include the blooper reel, the errors, the sins, the shortcomings, the, the faults and failures. But that's not what Peter did. That's not what scripture did. And that must be for a reason. God must have put these words here for us uh, for, for a good reason. Uh, but this, you know, once bold, uh, boasting, proud disciple uh, had the humility by God's grace to have this preserved in the account uh, of uh, his account of Christ's work for our salvation. As long as Christ's name was honored, apparently Peter didn't care how he looked uh, one one bit. Well, you might recall earlier in the same chapter, earlier in Mark 14, verses 26 to 31, Jesus foretold Peter's denial of him. Down to the very details, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night... This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me or disown me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So Peter, Peter thought at the time that he was stronger than the rest of the twelve. He thought that even if the rest of them fell away and abandoned Jesus and disowned him in his hour of need that he himself would stand alone. He would be the one that would not do that. And so the Lord Jesus told Peter, not only would he fall away and abandon him and turn his back on him, but that very night, he would, before the rooster crowed twice, 
Peter was going to deny him or, or really disown him or disavow him at least three times. And so we're going to look at Jesus, uh, the, the fulfillment of his words in Peter's threefold denial. Remember what Peter said to that? Peter's answer was, even if I have to die with you. Now think about that. He didn't just say, like, I think when I read it, even when I read it just now, I think my ears heard it as saying, even if I have to die. It's not what he said. He said, even if I have to die with you. Peter may have had some inkling of the kind of death Jesus was going to die if he were arrested. It's almost like, if I have to be crucified next to you, I'm not denying you. I'll go to the wall for you, we might say in our own way of putting it. But fast forward a little bit from that. Remember, this is, this is the very same night and in the very same chapter. And we see how Jesus' words came to pass down to the letter exactly as he said they would. Peter denied Christ three times that very same night before the rooster crowed twice. And notice this time, remember why they scattered? Remember when everybody first scattered when, when Jesus was arrested? There were soldiers or an armed guard from, from the Sanhedrin there. Remember Peter pulled out a sword and cut off the, the ear of the, of the servant of the high priest. This time there weren't armed guards. Who, what was it or who was it that threw Peter for a loop? It was a servant girl, verse 69. Now the Greek word here uh, for servant girl suggests a rather young girl. The word, it, it's not terribly specific, but... Uh, you know, we don't want to, to speculate about her age, but she was probably maybe a teenager. She wasn't even a full-grown adult woman. And this girl comes up to, Jesus, to, to Peter, rather, and points him out and says, Oh, I, you look familiar. I think I've seen you before. It says in verse 67 that uh, first she saw Peter. Remember, he's by the fire with the rest of the servants warming his hands and whatnot by the fire. And it says she saw him. And then it says she looked at him. And the word is more like she gazed at it. It's like she sort of caught a glimpse of him, and then she really gave him a good look. She recognized him for who he was, and she recognized him as one of Jesus' followers. And she said to him, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Now, for her to call Jesus the, the Nazarene uh, it was certainly no compliment. You might remember even in the Gospel of John chapter 1, Nathaniel uh, who came to be a follower of Christ, was so surprised to hear that the Messiah could have possibly come from Nazareth. He said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How, how possibly could the Messiah himself come out of there? Does anything good come from Nazareth? Well, in many ways, you know, for Peter to be accused of having been with Jesus and being a follower of him should have been, even if unintentionally so, should have been kind of a a backhanded compliment of sorts, shouldn't it? You were with Jesus. I recognize you as a follower of Jesus. Now, would anyone say that of you this morning or of me? Do you live your life and speak in such a way that anybody would be able to tell that you were a believer in Jesus Christ if they were to take, as this girl did, a good look at you, a good look at your life, a good look at your words? Well, how did Peter respond? Verse 68, he says, it says, but he denied it. Exact same word Jesus said he, uh, when he said, you would deny me. Same word. He denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. It's almost like, no habla. You know, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. He denied it and he denied it emphatically, didn't he? 
He said he didn't know, he didn't understand what she was talking about. And then what did he do? He tried to, to avoid further scrutiny by removing himself. Okay, I, I'm at a bad spot here. Maybe if I relocate, you know, it's all about location, location, location. I'll get away from the fire. I'll get out of the light, so to speak. And then I'll, everything will be, will be good. And then what happened? He goes to the gateway of the courtyard, the rooster crows, for the first time. And that's strike one. Well, the servant girl persisted. So, we don't know. It's almost as if she followed him. She confronted Peter again and identified him as a follower of Christ. In verse 69, Mark writes, And the servant girl, same one, servant girl saw him, she saw him again, and began to say to the bystanders, now she's calling attention to other people, said to the bystanders, this man is one of them. And now when it says began again, it, it's not. she didn't just walk up and say, hey everybody, that's one of them. She was pointing him out. Over and over again, it's like this. She she began to do it. This is one of them. This is one of those disciples of, of Jesus. And now it's now it's getting serious. It goes from one girl. Now the crowd is starting to be pointed out uh, that he is one of them. And so, verse seventy. What does he say? Mark Mark says, but again he denied it. Strike two. He denied his Lord again. And then in verse seventy, it goes from the servant girl. Now the bystanders get in on the act, don't they? It says certainly they say. Certainly you are one of them. We know it. You had this. I know this is right. That girl's right. You, you are for sure one of them. Why? For you are a Galilean. You know, a, we have this saying sometimes around, we say, you're not from around here, are you? They, they knew, and they knew, uh, that he was from Galilee. Many of the twelve were from Galilee. You remember when Jesus called the disciples and word had gotten around about that, that fact. In Matthew's parallel account of this very same Instance, Matthew makes clear that it, what it was, it was Peter's accent. Peter's accent was a dead giveaway. It's like if you're from the South here in the U.S. If you're, if you're born and raised in the South, you have, usually have an accent. And people will say, you're not from around here, are you? Or if you're from Boston or parts of Pennsylvania where I'm from, people say we have accents. I don't believe I do, but, um, you know, well, how did, how did Peter respond the third time? Verse 71, it says, But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. You know, it's, it's kind of difficult to read that. Even in, in the English translations, it's kind of a sobering thing to read. And I have to say, you know, looking at it in the Greek, it's even more shocking. You know, when you, when you look at the words that he uses there, uh, we might suppose, now, maybe when you've read this before, you thought to yourself, Oh, you know, Peter's got a sailor's mouth. He, he's just cussing and swearing. Well, he may have cussed and swore, but it's not that kind of cursing and swearing that Mark is, is talking about here. It's worse. It's not, not, not better. It's actually far, far worse uh, than what he is, is doing there. Peter, uh, the word is, we get the word anathematize from it, or anathema. When it says curse, he's literally, like a prophet would do, calling down a curse upon himself. He's, he's swearing, and he swears an oath. You know, we, we do this, you know, I swear on my mother's grave, all these kind of things. I swear on a stack of Bibles. He takes a false oath in front of the bystanders and calls a curse down upon his own head that he doesn't know. This man, doesn't even say his name. This man of whom you speak. The servant girl at least said his name. The Nazarene, Jesus. Peter doesn't even want to bring the word to his mouth. He won't even say his name. 
that word anathematize, it's the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in the first chapter of Galatians. He uses it twice. In Galatians 1, 8 through 9, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be, what? Accursed. He says, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Um, Be careful, I don't want to sound like I'm being flippant, but he's saying let them go to hell. And he's saying it not as a cuss word, he's saying it literally. If someone preaches a false gospel, those, those words, you know, we might, we might be tempted, and you know, we like to get along, you know, why can't we all get along? We, we like to, you know, um, we don't want to be too harsh, we don't want to be too nitpicky or persnickety or whatever, too judgmental, judge not, you know. Um, but a false gospel, what's the result of a false gospel? If someone is, is deceived by a false gospel, and by God's grace they don't, you know, the, turn from that false belief and turn to Christ by faith, what's the result? Damnation. Hell. So Paul's not, Paul's not being harsh. We might think he's being, oh, pastor, don't use words like that. Paul is saying, you know what? Let them go to the place that they're assigning other people to, in a sense, by their false message. Let them go to hell. That's the word Peter uses about himself. He called down curses, anathemas, on on his own head in order to deny Christ. That's a shocking, awful thing for us to contemplate and think about him saying, and what happened next? Verse 72, Mark says, and his favorite word, immediately, right after the words came out of Mark's, or Peter's mouth, the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. It's as if to emphasize for Peter the connection between the two things. And it was effective, right? It called to his mind, what does it say? He remembered what Jesus said. As soon as, it's like the alarm clock went off in his head. As soon as he heard the rooster, he remembered the words of Jesus and knew that Jesus' words had come to pass. Strike, strike three. And all, all that stemming not from armed guards, not from a physical threat upon his life in the immediate moment, but just from a little servant girl pointing him out to a crowd. And all Peter could do at that point was weep. Well, there are a, a number of, of lessons that you and I can learn from this awful account in the life of the Apostle Peter. The first, I think, is that we must take heed lest we too likewise fall. The scriptures say that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Uh, if the chief apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ was capable of such a sin, then surely you and I are as well. We shouldn't kid ourselves that we aren't capable of the same thing. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, now, anyone who thinks he stands, uh, take heed lest he fall. Left to ourselves, you and I are prone to such sins. Or do you think or do I think that we are stronger than Abraham or King David himself or the Apostle Peter? Those men's sins and transgressions and shortcomings are preserved for us in Scripture. And if I can borrow Paul's words, he would say that those are for an example for us to learn that we might not do the same. Christians are most certainly capable of heinous sins. 
Every one of us is capable of such things. That means that you and I are capable of committing heinous sins, scandalous sins, things that bring disrepute on the name of Christ. And so we should know that we're quite capable of those things, and we need to take heed and beware lest we fall into such things as well. And now, those things, can those things, did Peter's sin separate him from the love of God in Christ? No. Such sins in the life of a genuine believer in Christ never separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. But they do bring scandal to the name of Christ. They often bring severe chastisement upon us when we commit them. Thank God for that. As, as, as weird as that may sound uh, to hear me say, thank God that he does not let his children wander around in their sins. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 10 says that he, that's God, he disciplines us or chastises us, what? For our good that we may share his holiness. God loves you too much to let you go on in persisting in his sins. You know, the the, the, the 23rd Psalm, everybody, if you have mem- one of them memorized, it's probably that one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or I shall not lack. What does he say about the rod and the staff of the good shepherd? Which is the Lord. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What was a, what's a rod and a staff for? Well, a rod, it's, a, it's like a club. You know, a, a predator comes around, the, the shepherd fights off the predator. What's the staff for? Grabbing a wandering sheep and pulling it back. Thank God that he uses both of those. He defends his church and he disciplines his church and his people for our holiness. Another lesson that we should learn from this is, you know, if we think about it, it's easy to look at these, these, these verses, this short passage, and say, that's Peter. You know, I'm never going to be in a situation where I've got, you know, my life's on the line and somebody's going to uh, point out that I'm a follower of Christ and, and I won't be too embarrassed to say so. But do we not sometimes also deny the Lord in a number of ways if we really think about it? Do we not sometimes deny him in how we live and speak before a watching and dying world? Do we not at times seek to blend in with the crowd? You know, what's, what do they say about the, the nail that sticks out? It's a nail that sticks out that gets the hammer. Well, nobody wants the hammer. Nobody wants to stick out. Do we not at times seek to blend in with the crowd and be conformed to the pattern of this world rather than, as Paul says, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? We allow our, our thinking, our mindset, our attitudes to kind of just blend in with the world on all kinds of things today. Have you ever shied away from saying something that might make it plain to someone else that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? And again, if anyone were to take a good look at you, would they be able to identify you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Would they know? Would they be shocked if you told them that you were? Or would they say, ah, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Now, 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 now you make sense to me. Now I get why you are the way you are. Third thing, notice the abounding grace of Jesus Christ for Peter and for all of his sheep who have stumbled and fallen along the narrow way. You might know that the Lord Jesus restored Peter, didn't he? This, you know, if we were writing the Bible, and thank God we're not, Peter's story would have been over right then and there. He would have followed in the line of Judas. He would have been the next one, wouldn't he? That's what we would have expected, but that's not what happened. In John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19, this is what's written. It says, when they had finished breakfast, this is after the resurrection of Christ, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember what Peter had said. Even if all these guys, you know, paraphrasing, even if all of them fall away and deny you, not me. 
So Jesus brings up that very thing in restoring him and says, Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now he doesn't even say more than these. Do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. So feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, what? The same thing he said the first time he met him, follow me. And Peter, of course, did. The rod and staff of the good shepherd comforted his wayward sheep, Peter. Peter denied his Lord how many times? Three times. And Jesus graciously restored him in a threefold manner that suited that very sin. Three times he denied him. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? And each time he told him to feed or tend his sheep. In other words, if you love me, here's how you can show it. Feed my sheep. Tend my, my flock. Jesus did not cast Peter on the scrap heap, did he? We would have cast Peter on the scrap heap. Jesus didn't. Jesus died for those sins too. He graciously brought him to repentance and restoration. He even used him as one of the apostles. I mean, think about this. This is what we would have done. We would have said, you know, Peter, eh, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, kind of thing. We're, we're done with Peter. Or we would have said, well, you know, okay, you're restored, but you've got to sit in the back. You know, let's, let's slow your roll, you know, know your place, just... You can kind of come along, but let's not get it carried away and be trying to, uh, to, to, to feed Christ. Christ said, feed my sheep. He still called him to be an apostle. Have you known what that's like in your life? Have you known the abounding grace of God and the comfort that God gives to his people? This, this passage, I think, should be abundant comfort for you as well. Later on in the book of Acts, Peter and John, you might know, were arrested. They were arrested more than once. And they were brought before the very same council that Jesus is standing trial before during this event that we're looking at in Mark's gospel. But this time, Peter didn't cower before them. He didn't deny his Lord. Instead, Acts 4.8 says, being filled with the Holy Spirit, what did he do? He boldly spoke in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Verse 10. It's almost to, to, as if to, to connect the two things. He's like, yeah, that Nazarene? Yeah, I'm speaking in the name of that Nazarene. The one whom they had crucified, but whom God had raised from the dead. And he even told them, I mean, he's on trial for his life, and what does he tell the Sanhedrin? He says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This isn't an Ascension Day sermon, so to speak, but that's, a, that's an allusion to the Ascension. No other name under heaven. Where is Jesus right now? Reigning at the, when Jesus, when Peter spoke those words, where was Jesus? Sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And it says in the book of Acts that the council members were stunned, they were amazed or astonished by the boldness. Wasn't this the same guy who was chickened out by a little girl? And now here he is preaching 
boldly in the name of Christ. It says, you know, these same disciples who had abandoned Christ, John abandoned Christ just like Peter did. And now they're boldly speaking in his name. And verse 14 of Acts 4 says this, Luke writes, Now when they, the Sanhedrin, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were Galileans, they were dumb fishermen, right? They were, they were uh, yokels. You know. They were astonished, and it says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The only thing that made sense out of their actions and their words and their boldness was they had been with Christ. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. And Peter would actually go on to be faithful unto the Lord even to death. We just sang faith of our fathers, and maybe part of that refrain maybe took you back a little bit when you were singing it. Maybe you thought to yourself, maybe I shouldn't sing this, right? We will be true to thee till death. Well, Peter was exactly that. He would go on to be faithful even unto death. Church tradition has it that just as Jesus said in John 21, that Peter was martyred being crucified. In Fox's book of martyrs, remember Jesus said how he was going to die? You're going to stretch out your hands? And he was indicating the manner of Peter's death. Well, Fox's book of martyrs says this, Jerome saith that he was crucified, his head being down, and his feet upward, himself himself so requiring, because he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as the Lord was. Can you imagine that? Peter's like, I'm not worthy to die the exact same way. I'll die with my arms out, but put me upside down. He couldn't imagine that. Only the grace of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life can make that happen, can accomplish that in our lives. To go from denying Christ three times to no longer being ashamed to own his Lord, but even upon pain of death and martyrdom, God, his grace had changed Peter. And a lot of that is due to the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection changed everything. Pentecost changed everything, which means the ascension had a lot to do with that. As well, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1, verses 11 to 12, Paul writes this, Paul, Paul knew what it was like to suffer for the faith. Paul was martyred as well for the faith, and not long before he was martyred, he wrote these words. He said, "For I, which I was appointed by Christ, a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. doesn't make sense to us. A preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, why should that bring suffering? Well, it does, because Satan doesn't like the word of God being taught and preached. He says, But I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He knew Christ. And he knew any suffering he had to endure to do his will and preach his word, that Christ would make it stand up, that Christ would make it right. It wasn't wasted Effort. It wasn't wasted words. It wasn't even his wasted life. It wasn't a wasted life, even if he was martyred, which he was. Christ would still use it. May our faithful Savior give you and I grace and work in us by his Holy Spirit that you and I might not be ashamed to own our Lord and that we might know whom we have believed and likewise be more and more persuaded that he is able to guard what we've committed unto him until that day. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us even difficult passages like this that are hard to read and even harder to think about for any length of time. We thank you that you 
did not cast Peter away, but that even after his fall and his uh, denial of you that you foretold, that, that you restored him, Lord Jesus, unto, unto yourself, unto grace, that nothing can cut off uh, any of us who know you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, that even death itself, uh, despite that, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through you, by your death, your resurrection, even your ascension and the pouring out of your Holy Spirit, that you ever live at the right hand of God the Father to intercede for us, uh, that you are able to save to the uttermost those who come to you by faith for salvation. We thank you for that. We thank you for your great grace in our lives that although we have sinned in so many ways, we can't even begin to count or number or understand the depth of them that you by your grace have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light and you even continue to forgive us and cleanse us from our sins and use us for your glory. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit afresh even today. Give us grace. We are all natural-born cowards and we ask that you would give us grace to be bold in our proclamation of, of your grace and your love, and your cross and resurrection. And that we also pray that if anybody this morning is here and does not yet know you and does not know the joy of having their sins forgiven and having eternal and abundant life in you, by faith in you, we pray that you might make today the day of their salvation. Open their eyes, that they might look to you and live. We pray all this in your name. Amen.